Baptisms are such a joy. I don't know. That made my week uh, so wonderful. There's one other person getting baptized tomorrow is Landon, a young adult that just decided to follow Jesus too. So good reminder to keep praying that God is stirring hearts right now and people are turning to Jesus across the sound. And uh, we celebrate that together. And if you're watching too and you don't have a church home, just um, come in. If you want to get baptized, let us know on that connecting card. As we look forward to Thursday, uh, Barry just picked up one of the boxes. We had a pickup today hundreds of people that came by and, and now have boxes. And it was a reminder of how many people at our church and many aren't able to come. And that's wise, uh, but it's so good to see them again. And right now we're really trying to stay connected as much as we can in 2020. And at home, the boxes, we're going to celebrate Christmas Eve together. If you're wondering in the three services, which one has the least amount of people right now, it's seven o'clock. So if you want a little quieter service or less people, seven o'clock has less, but reserving really helps us it's also a great chance to invite people. You might want to take a little time this week and just think through the neighbors, co-workers, who you could invite. A lot of people are having watch parties. That's a great way to enter in as well. And you can invite people from other parts of the country. This is a, a year where we know we need Jesus and the comfort of his love. And we're going to talk about the love of Jesus on Christmas Eve. Uh, this series is A Greater Love. And our prayer is really that we would realize how much God loves us. And also we would abide with Jesus and receive more of his love so that we have more of his love to give. And we're going to look at Micah chapter 5 today. You can open up your Bibles if you brought one or on your phone if you want to take a look. Micah chapter 5 in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to look at the humility of Jesus. There's many different aspects to God's love. And in this series, we've talked about the patience of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus. And now today, we're going to look at uh, also the humility of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that we can be here. Most of all, thank you that you're with us. And Lord, we come from a lot of different experiences this week. We come from a lot of different backgrounds. And Lord, there's also a lot of different conditions of our hearts and our faith. And God, we pray that during this service, Jesus, we would see you for who you really are. And as we see you in your greatness and your love and your humility, Lord, there's nothing better on earth. We don't have anyone or anything that compares to you. And I pray that our hearts, God, you would transform our lives. I pray that our hearts would soften and we would receive more of your love in Jesus, we would be more like you in your humility. And we pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Here's the main idea tonight. Jesus leads his followers on a path of deep and consistent humility. Let's say that together. Jesus leads his followers on a path of deep and consistent humility. And you wonder, what is God doing in our lives right now? He is leading us towards a deeper and more consistent humility and let's take a look at Micah chapter 5. As you open up the Bible and turn to Micah, he's one of the prophets in the Old Testament, and he wrote over 700 years before Christ. Uh, let's take a look at verse 1, and then I'll give you some of the historical context. You're going to read here about battles and threats, and that's what's happening in verse 1. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. 
Okay, what is Micah talking about here? Historically, in the year 722, Assyria, a superpower back then, came into the northern part of the kingdom. There were 12 tribes, 10 in the north, that's Israel, two in the south, Judah. In 722, Assyria came in, really wiped out, scattered, exile, just took over, brutal what happened there. And now Micah is really talking about the near future and he's giving a warning. It's kind of a dire tone. And you pick up on, again, those themes of war here. In a world of strife, what's going to happen is that Assyria wants to take down the other two tribes in the south, Judah, but God will hold them back. And in 587, Babylon is actually going to come in and invade and take them into exile. So we have all the strife and the fighting. We have um, tyrants. It's a lot of violence. And the last king... You see here, they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. King Zedekiah was the last king before the Babylonians came in. And it's kind of foreshadowing of Jesus that he was struck, he was humiliated. With Zedekiah, he would literally be blinded as they tortured him. But he was the last king. He was in the line of David. And that's important because the Savior and Messiah would be in the line of David. And he was the last in the line of David in Jerusalem before Jesus would come. Overall, the nation was situationally humbled by Assyria and later by Babylon. Now, let me ask you, have you been situationally humbled? Has our nation been situationally humbled in 2020? Sometimes life will become so challenging and there's so many difficulties that we feel very humbled by the situation. That doesn't necessarily translate into a humble heart. You can be humbled by a situation, but your heart doesn't change. That's really a second step, I think, that not only is a situation humbling, but also we're going to humble our hearts. Now, when we think about this year, I have a friend, Todd Aaron, who described his thoughts on COVID. When he first heard about it, it was a distant reality. He read about Wuhan and the crisis, and we hear a lot of news about things that are happening in other countries. But it wasn't that strong of a reality initially for him. But what happened is the pandemic spread and you think about all the different areas of our lives that this touched. For some people, it either changed or accelerated our financial conditions, our job situations, touches on marriage. It can bring extra stress. Mental health can be affected. Lives lost. Masks. Church. Social distancing. It can increase some division. It can affect friendships, school, routines, relationships. A lot of impact. And what Todd was saying is this distant reality suddenly became a very strong reality and feels like it touched so many different parts of his life. Now, when you think about Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, that might feel to you like a distant reality. But may that distant reality affect our lives in the best way. And by that, what happened in Bethlehem through Jesus' birth, in Jerusalem through his death and resurrection, there's no thing in our lives that has a greater impact than the gospel of Jesus Christ. COVID is very, very minor compared to the impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus and what happened in Bethlehem, we know that we are loved by God. We are pursued by God. We are forgiven by God. We abide with God. God is at work in our lives and he wants to work through every part of our lives where we live, work, learn, or pray and bring his love into our relationships. 
Our God is mighty, and you can't put a limit on the impact of what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Situationally humbled, but then let's talk about a humble heart, because that's really a choice. Situations in our lives, we don't always get to choose them, but a humble heart is a choice. A humble heart is what makes room for God in our lives. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God will not despise a humble heart. God will come in his presence and he will fill your life with his presence if you have a humble heart. David is someone in the Bible who learned about a humble heart and he wrote this in Psalm 25. The Psalms are really prayers and songs. They're right from David's heart. They're honest, they're deep. And he's learned this. He says, good and upright is the Lord. That's who God is. Who is God? He's good, he's holy, he's upright, he's pure. Therefore, God instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Your humility is your teachability. God wants to guide you, but when we're proud, we try to resist God, we quench the Holy Spirit, we grieve the Holy Spirit. David was a sinner, and I don't know how you think through your own sin in your life. I'm very aware of my sin, not in a shame and guilt way, but I'm very aware how much I need God and his guidance. And I hope that that's true of all of us. If you've been walking with God for 30 or 40 years, that you're even more aware now of how much you need God and his guidance and how our hearts can go astray. They're deceitful and they can run after the wrong stuff. And David realized this. He was a broken man because of his choices and his sin, but he received the grace of God and you just hear him as a sinner celebrating the grace of God in walking and in, in not disqualified, but walking with God purely because of God's mercy. And the humility that we have, it comes because we receive the grace of God. When you receive the grace of God, it makes us humble. Your humility will always stand out in a world of strife. It's true of Jesus. What stands out about Jesus? There was so much strife and tension in Jesus' life, but what stood out in that context is his humility. When you're humble, people are going to see Jesus in you. When your pride kicks in, people are not going to see Jesus. It, it's going to be through humility that people see Jesus in you and reject the pride, die to the pride, and then we'll be like Jesus when we're humble in a world of strife. Let's go back to Micah chapter 5. Look at verse 2. And in this verse, it's going to be a further future. In the first verse, it was a near future. There's a threat, a siege coming. The king is going to be humiliated. Now verse 2, it's hope. It's hope that we all need. Uh, be able to look further ahead. And here's the declaration. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Uh, but you, the first two words in that verse, but you, something different, but you, you are called to be different, but you, don't be like the world and the patterns of the world and the thinking and the pride and being distracted and being self-absorbed, but you are called to be humble. Uh, but you, Bethlehem, God is doing something in you that he wasn't doing in the other cities. God wants to do something in our lives that's special. Bethlehem, Ephrathah is the region, and the city Bethlehem literally means house of bread. 
That's the meaning of the name, Bethlehem, house of bread. Names are significant. What happens in the house of bread? The bread of heaven comes into the house of bread. The bread of life comes into the house of bread. Do we have any bread in the house of bread? Oh, we've got bread. We've got the bread of heaven. We've got the bread of life that won't nourish just your stomach, but nourish your soul. Don't just be so fixated on what nourishes your stomach. Think about your soul and find the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ. Uh, This prophecy right here, when Jesus was born, he fulfilled every single prophecy. Born, line of David, Bethlehem, born of a virgin. I mean, there's no mistake about it. God laid it out for hundreds of years. Jesus fulfilled all of it. It's like, here's all the historical clues. Here's all the evidence. In fact, Herod at the time was a ruler when Jesus was born. And Herod, talking to the teachers of the law, consulting them, And what was the discussion? Micah chapter 5, verse 2. You see it in the New Testament. They knew, here's the prophecy, the Savior's going to come in Bethlehem. And where is Bethlehem? Five miles away from Jerusalem. Tiny town. It's where David was born. It's where Jesus was born. Jesus in the line of David. But isn't it like God to work on the fringe, to take that tiny town, to take a place that's unexpected, to take someone behind the scenes, to work through everyday people, people who are overlooked. God finds them. God works through them. This is God's plan. This is how God moves. And who's going to come out of Bethlehem? A ruler from eternity. In other words, Jesus, preexistent, always existed, the same yesterday, today, and forever, rules and reigns. He will return. We look forward to that. Uh, But this is the one who can save you. Again, notice the context in verse 1. What's happening? Military threat. What's the message? Your king can't save you. Your military can't save you. Your government can't save you. Your weapons can't save you. Your nation can't save you. Your own strength can't save you. They can't save you. Here's the one who can save you. Here's the one from Bethlehem. Don't put your hope in government, military, the nation. Don't put your hope in yourself. Put your hope in the one who was born in Bethlehem. He's the only faithful and reliable one. And he's a humble Messiah. We worship a humble Savior. What does this mean, humble? It means he came to love sinners. He came to be friends with sinners. He came to pursue sinners to walk with sinners, to transform sinners, to rescue sinners, to die for sinners, and to raise up sinners full of his love and grace and truth. God is still doing that. What Jesus was doing from day one is what he's doing right now, and we're thankful for that. Uh, When we talk about the depth and consistency of Jesus' humility, I want to just highlight a couple different things about his life. The depth and consistency of humility. Because sometimes we're humble in one setting, but not another setting. We're humble one day, but not the next day. We're humble in one relationship, but not the other relationship. We're humble when things go well, but not when they go difficult. We're humble when people watch, but when they don't watch, we're not so humble. We move around in our humility. That's not Jesus. Consistent, deep humility. How do we know? He left heaven to come down to earth. (laughs) That's a humble step. I kind of think it's a little better in heaven. I I don't know what you think, what your theology is. I think I've got a pretty strong backing in the Bible. I don't think it would be that easy to leave heaven and step into this fallen world. Jesus, God, fully God, fully human, enters into a body, 
and becomes a baby. Mary gives birth to God. Mary holds God. Mary nurses God. That's humility. God in the body of a baby. And then born in a manger, not luxurious, not four-star, no, in the manger, no room anywhere else. Again, humility. Born in Bethlehem, not in Jerusalem with a big parade and fanfare. Born in Bethlehem. Uh, The same one who picks up a towel to wash his disciples' feet and says, do the same. Wash feet, serve. The same one who rides in for the triumphal entry on a donkey. Not a horse, a donkey. When you read the book of Revelation, his return, his second coming, you see a horse there. Uh, But right here, triumphal entry, a donkey. Another reminder is humility. Humility to suffer, mistreated, murdered, and die on a cross. Same death as criminals. Dying on a cross, becoming sin. Say, did Jesus become sin? Yeah, he became sin. The sinless became sin. Why? Because all our sin is placed on him and all his righteousness is given to us. Humility, even to be buried in a grave. God, dead in a grave, died for our sins. Nothing more humble. Uh, We should be humbled just thinking about Jesus' life. And what do we see as a golden thread through this? Throughout his life, he says yes to the Father. He does the next right thing and he trusts God with the results. What's a picture of humility in your life? It's to say yes to the Father, whatever that's going to look like. Yes to the Father. What if it's suffering and serving and submission? Yes to the Father. Trust God with the results. Lay down our lives. Do the next right thing. And the Bible says that we're going to have the same attitudes as Christ Jesus. The one we just described, and you could read Philippians chapter 2 this week, And this is what it says. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Just reading that kind of crushes and threatens our pride. And to be imitating Jesus, well, we're going to need the Holy Spirit, which God has given us, the Holy Spirit, God's presence. We worship one God, three persons. The Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit doing during the day? Helping us to become more like Jesus. Helping our attitudes to be more humble, to be more like Jesus. Say yes to the Holy Spirit and yes to humility. Here's a couple of questions. As you think about humility in your life, uh, here's a couple different ways to kind of do a quick check. Hmm, how, how am I doing in terms of humility? Uh, one question is, are you a good listener? Humble people are great listeners. Here's a second question. Do you have a long fuse? Humble people, they're not just going to blow their temper right away. Uh, number three, are you quick to forgive everyone fully? Humble people forgive fully. They do it quickly. Uh, number four, do you confess your sins during the week to kind of get right with God? Uh, do you confess sins? Confession is also fruit of humility. Are you a thankful person? Would the people around you say, you're very thankful. Humble people are thankful. They thank other people. They thank God. They're very thankful. Do you serve daily? Use your gifts. Do you worship? Humble people worship God. And then also, do you give a lot of affirmation for other people? Do you build up other people with your words? That's what humble people do. So these are, because humility can sound kind of, ooh, broad, sounds good, I think I am, I don't know. But these are some specifics where you go, okay, am I really saying yes and giving the Holy Spirit access to these parts of my life? And how do we become more humble? Uh, The way to become more humble 
is to abide with Jesus. Abide with Jesus, not again one hour, one place, one day, but 24-7 in this relationship, and Jesus will do it. Uh, Here's the next principle. Your humility is the fruit of learning how to embrace the strength of the Lord, and I'd also say the security of the Lord. Uh, Humility is really a fruit of abiding with Jesus, embracing his love, his strength, and the security that he gives. Let's take a look at Micah chapter 5, verse 3. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And you pick up from these verses, strength and security. How did Jesus live? The strength that he would stand in the difficulties, that he would shepherd as well in in the strength of the Lord, and then secure Secure, spreading the glory of the Lord everywhere. Strength and security. And as you abide with Jesus, he's going to give you strength and security. A secure identity. You're accepted and forgiven. Strength daily. Strength in our weakness. And as you abide, uh, that's what Jesus provides. Humility is not wimpy. It's not intimidated. It's not vacillating. That's not a picture of biblical humility. Biblical humility includes strength and security. And out of that strength and security, you use your strength in powerful ways to build other people up and serve other people. Uh, There's a, a king in the Bible. His name's Hezekiah. And he fits in the context of the prophet Micah. Remember, 722 was the year Assyria came in and took out the 10 northern tribes. Well, Hezekiah was king in 715. And Hezekiah had a dad named Ahaz, and he was someone who rebelled against God. In fact, he closed up the temple and the worship. Sounds a little like 2020, doesn't it? I mean, he closed up all the churches and said, no worship, you know, nothing there. Uh, He shut all that down. Instead, he brought in idols and he brought in pagan worship. And that's the route the nation took because the leader went that way. The people went that way. And, you know, Hezekiah saw dad and he made a decision, I'm going to be different than dad. Now, you might have a wonderful father and he's been a great example and you just want to thank him for that. But I'm telling you a key moment in life, a key milestone for many who either didn't have a dad or a dad that was making some wrong decisions is to make that decision that I'm going to be different than dad. That is a big decision. I'm going to be very different than dad. And that takes courage. Hezekiah made that decision. And part of the key to that was that he wanted to walk with God. And dad didn't. And he found those first five books of the Bible. And he went back to God. And he went back to the Word. And he saw how far the nation had strayed. It's not hard to open up your Bible and then take a look around. And you can see our nation strayed. And he saw that. He saw the gap between our present culture and the Word of God. And with that, he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. 
We're going to get things right in church. We're going to get things right in the temple. We're going to cleanse the temple. There's going to be worship in the temple. There's going to be honoring God in the temple. We're going to have the Passover. We're going to tithe. We're going to give the Lord a tenth off the first fruits. We're not going to have any pagan worship and idols anymore. We're going to turn from our idols to the living God, and there's going to be revival in the church. Except back then they called it temple. And Hezekiah uh, took those steps of faith and it led to a transformation. God used his leadership to hold off Assyria and not destroy Judah, the, the southern two tribes. Uh, God hears from heaven. He will strongly support those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God can heal a nation. Even if there's division, even if there's um, lack of hope, God can move. God can heal our nation. God could heal our nation if we humble ourselves. Hezekiah humbled himself. People saw that. They humbled themselves. And where there's humility, there can be transformation. Don't give up. Could be a relationship that you're in right now. You're thinking about a relationship. Go humble. Where there's humility, there can be transformation. God can bring great healing where there's humility. Uh, There's so many passages in the Bible about humility. And you can go through the book of Proverbs and Proverbs is uh, so much application, I think, that just builds character, speaks right to life's choices, making wise choices. Let's take a look at Proverbs 22 and verse 4. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor in life. There's many blessings from living a humble life. And then let's also look at Proverbs chapter 27. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth. An outsider and not your own lips. I mean, don't you see that in our culture all the time? People praising themselves. Uh, It's like the Bible is very clear. Don't do that. That's not wise. That's not humble. Uh, Someone else uh, will build you up. The first proverb, chapter 22, a fear of the Lord. And I, I think with this topic of humility, we've got to touch on a fear of the Lord because it gets so twisted, a fear of the Lord. Uh, this is what's common. Either people have an unhealthy fear of the Lord and they think God hates them, God is against them, God has given up on them. Uh, that is not true biblically and that's an unhealthy fear of the Lord. But on the flip side, what's just as unhealthy is to have no fear of the Lord. And that's common today. Forget God, forget his word. I'm calling the shots. No fear of the Lord. And we want instead to have a healthy fear of the Lord and we want to have a full fear of the Lord. Now, uh, in the Bible, we've talked about this, you're saved by grace and that's a gift. But this is where grace gets twisted and misused is that people say, well, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Why would I even want to fear the Lord? Why would I even need to fear the Lord? I mean, I'm forgiven. I'm doing what I want to do. And that's not biblical or healthy. A healthy view of grace should lead to a greater fear of the Lord. And a fear of the Lord is the basis of humility. If you don't honor and respect the Lord, you truly won't have a deep and consistent humility. So it comes back to a fear of the Lord. And again, there's a lot of unhealthy people that grew up in churches that just got slammed and judged and you just felt like you were hated at church, so God must hate me. Or people who are just like, I'm, a, I'm America, I'm individual, I'm freedom, I'm gonna call my own shots, forget this fear of the Lord stuff. And it both are, are really, really common. So to enter into a healthy fear of the Lord, that's where humility takes us, where we know we're loved, we're secure, but we also know sin is sin, Repentance is real and we all need to repent of our sin. With repentance comes refreshing, newness of life, and abundant life. And so we repent, we turn to the Lord, and we know that life is truly a gift 
And uh, we have God's perspective on life. Let's take a look at James, who's a straight shooter in the Bible. He rejected his half-brother, didn't really believe, and then later on decided to follow Jesus. And this is what he says in terms of how we should view life. This is a humble view of life. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. None of us do. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now he's kind of summarizing. I know it's really usually 70 years or so, but can be much less, uh, and life goes quickly. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. I say the phrase so frequently, Lord willing, we'll do that tomorrow. Lord willing. And for me, it's a reminder of the truth of Scripture. It's a reminder of the reliance on the Lord. It's a reminder that every day is a gift. And it's a reminder uh, that really... um, it's a reminder to humble ourselves before God. Uh, when, I, when I was doing some research this week and looking at some different lives in the 1800s, I think you'll find this inspiring when it comes to humility. And, you know, who changes generations? Who changes nations? It's humble people. And I want to share a couple glimpses of some lives from the 1800s. George Mueller is someone who ran an orphanage, uh, loved orphans. The Bible says, if you love God, take care of orphans. Uh, he loved Jesus. He led many people to Jesus. And this is what he says about his life. There was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world and its approval. Died to the approval or blame even of my brothers and my friends. And I decided to live for God. Jesus must increase, we must decrease. So what is all that dying stuff? The irony is you actually come to life. When you drop the self-centeredness and you drop the pride and you drop calling all the shots and you just say, God, I'm in, I'm gonna die to these things, that's when you become more alive than ever. And and again, changing so many lives of orphans. D.L. Moody, also in the 1800s, he was someone who loved kids. I I just say, if you love Jesus, you're gonna love kids. I mean, this is God's heart. And D.L. Moody, uh, this was the context where there were pastors from Europe who came to a conference in a college dorm And they had a habit, and this is kind of a tradition from Europe, is that they put their shoes out at the end of the night, and then someone comes along and cleans up their shoes, and the shoes are all looking good in the morning. Well, they were in America. That tradition wasn't there. They put all their shoes out, and D.L. Moody saw that at night, and he's like, what's going on here? Oh, they're wanting their shoes cleaned. And he said to some of his friends, hey, let's clean the shoes. And no takers, nobody wanted to do it. So he stayed up all night cleaning shoes. Eventually, one of his friends came over and helped And I'll tell you, when you serve, there might be a lot of people say, no, I'm not doing it. But you keep serving, pretty soon they're noticing, and then they're going to join you. They're going to say, you know what, I want to serve. I want to use my gifts. I want to make a difference. And the humility to say, let's literally wash these shoes. Fanny Crosby, also in the 1800s, she wrote over 8,000 gospel songs. I'm going to read you a couple names of the titles. See if you know any of these. Blessed Assurance. That one is still sung so often, uh, rescue the perishing, to God be the glory, all the way my Savior leads me, and pass me not, O gentle Savior. That's just to name a few. But it's not her prolific gift in terms of music and writing these songs to God. There was a cholera epidemic in New York City, and instead of leaving the city, she stayed, she served, she risked her life in humility. I think of all of the people who work in hospitals that over the last you know, nine months have just stayed and served and even risked their life. Uh, Pray for them. 
Uh, so yeah, moved by that. Um, and you see, it's like, who's going to change the culture? It's going to be humble people who serve. That's the truth uh, from Jesus's life to uh, just go through the book of Acts to history. And I say, these are people in the 1800s. Their names aren't important. What's important is they really said yes to Jesus and God did amazing things through them. But uh, who's going to step up in this generation? Who's going to step up at this time? Who's going to be humble in a divided nation? Who's going to be humble when people are hurting and are in pain? Who's going to serve? And who's going to do it to God's glory? Well, I think, again, going back to Micah, the last verse we're going to look at, chapter 5, verse 5. This is one of those verses that's just always been one of my favorites. And it starts out and it says, and he will be their peace. Jesus will be their peace. And then we read, when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortress, we will raise against him seven shepherds, even eight leaders. And I love the first part of that verse. Where are you going to find peace in your life, in your heart, in your soul in 2020? Peace is not a principle. Peace is not something that you're going to go purchase or, or anything you're going to manufacture. Peace is Jesus. And the more of Jesus you have in your life, the more peace you have in your life. I don't know how to say it any more direct than that. The more Jesus you have in your life, the more peace you're going to have in your life. And the less of Jesus you have in your life, it's going to be hard to fake peace to people. It's just, it's hard to fake peace. And uh, Jesus is peace. The Messiah is peace. Uh, what kind of peace does he give? There's an invasion. He gives a peace in the middle of the battle that's greater than the battle and the wars and the attack. He gives it right in the middle of all that. But he also gives a peace that's eternal when he removes the wars and the battles and the sin and the death and the pain and the sickness. And it's a lasting peace. Jesus is our peace. A lot of times this time of year, you'll hear the word Advent. And I think it's great to talk about Advent, the coming of Christ. But I want to encourage you to think of Advents, plural. Because the first Advent is exciting. Micah's talking about the first Advent. And that's the coming of Christ. Micah wrote 700 years before the coming of Christ. Advent, building up to the first coming of Christ. You think about Bethlehem and the Virgin Mary. And we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to take all of that in. Advent is important. But there's a second Advent I think that's even more exciting at this point for us. And it's what we're looking forward to, and it's the return of Christ. Christ coming not for the first time, but Christ coming again. And to make all things right. And until then, all right, how do we live? And we just read here about these shepherds. These shepherds. Jesus is the great shepherd. But then we also, when we follow Jesus, are shepherds. God has put people around you that to love them, to serve them, to protect them, to care for them, to build them up in your faith. And your, your relationships aren't accidents. God has placed people there. You're a shepherd. You're a priest. You're an ambassador. You're a shepherd. That's who you are. God's word. Uh, and, and so Jesus is our shepherd. We follow him. And then what does Jesus say about... <laughs> During his times, he looked around and he said, people right now are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Would you agree that kind of fits for the sound? People are harassed and helpless, running around like sheep without a shepherd. What do people need right now? They need Jesus, the good shepherd. And then they're also 
people that are going to rise up who are shepherds. That's you, humble shepherds. Benevolent, humble, strong in the Lord, secure, overcoming the evil in the world. And the, the closing principle is your humility is what leads people to Jesus and what leads people to his peace. Because they see humility in you and they see peace in you and they want some of that. And they think, I don't have that. Where do I get that? And then you can humbly share the source of your peace and it's this relationship. It's not religion, it's not principles, but it's this relationship of this wonderful, humble Savior who, born in Bethlehem, loves sinners, transforms us, doesn't give up on us, is patient with us, and uh, helps us every day when our pride wants to rage to be humble. And uh, he gets all the glory. Uh, a greater love, there's, um, uh, this is a time. I just wrote down, I think, like no other right now. There's so much hurt and pain to rise up with a greater love. And Jesus is leading us all on a path of deep and consistent humility, which is the expression and the evidence of the love of God. Let's pray. Father God, we humble ourselves before you today. Forgive our pride. Forgive our boasting. Forgive our idols. Forgive all of our distractions, our self-absorption. Forgive our unforgiveness towards other people. Forgive us for not being caring, good listeners. Forgive us for judging people we shouldn't judge. God, remind us today to have a fear of you. A fear that's healthy, that's full of respect, of just bowing down. God, you are in heaven. We are not. You are the Savior. We are not. God, you are perfectly humble. We are not. And we humble ourselves before you. In the silence right now, just continue to humble yourself before the Lord, before we sing right now. You can confess any sin. Ask him to do a deep work in your heart. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.